Welcome into a combo podcast. It is uh, the Pipe Bomb and Professor podcast slash Green and Gold then and now. We got the Pipe Bomb, Jeff Orlowski here, the Professor, Anthony Mandela, and the Encyclopedia, Mr. Steve Zaki. How you doing, boys? I'm good. I didn't know you had a nickname, Steve. I don't. He, he changes. It changes week. Oh, it's every week? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Changes know. with the full moon, I guess. I, I do... You know, I'm known for my racing knowledge, but I've been dazzling him with my football knowledge as of late. I am dazzled. Understandable. Not be dazzled, but just dazzled. So, but I don't even know why we're here. There's not a whole lot of news to talk about in Green Bay. I got the breaking news today. Um, uh, Who's the guy? Connor Donerson, a Packers sign. So, welcome uh, him to the uh, Packers family and speaking of new ish players on the Packers uh Danny Vitale who is the new fullback for the Packers number 45 uh shout out to him my uh wife used to work with his mom oh Seriously? yeah well so, yeah I'm sorry Kendall Donerson I think you're more famous new. than he is Jeff uh I don't think so but I'd be uh, I'd be willing to bet on it <laughs> so they actually signed a traditional fullback yeah, uh, he played tight end at Northwestern, oh, and uh, now he's playing fullback in the in the league. And uh, you know, so let me get this straight: they have four tight ends and a fullback. Yes, in a, in an NFL that loves the spread offense in the passing game. Yeah, wow, wow, I just that makes sense. Uh, Whatever, but yeah, he saw Rome the field. wasn't built in a day. He saw the field <laughs> on special not. teams and uh, had a nice pancake block and all that. So. Welcome to the Green and Gold, Mr. Vitale. Uh, sorry, your parents are diehard Bears fans. We forgive you, sort of. Sort of. Won't forget, but sort of forgive. So, obviously, the big news out of Green Bay, the, the big dummy's gone. Mike McCarthy fired. Uh, what are you going to talk about now? Well, now it'll be Mark Murphy. Okay, so, cool. But- <laughs> On to the next one. <laughs> Here, Here's the thing. I think that's interesting. For for those of us Packer fans who who are the serious Packer fans that watch a lot of games, and you know we we've heard you know Jim Mora you know talk to the media and, and say you know you don't know you'll never know you know all that talking down but I mean those of us who are serious Packer fans who watch football for a long time you know have a pretty base knowledge of what's going on in and around the organization and then I think the most shocking thing was some of the remarks on Sunday night most most of all by the uh, Fox crew uh, on Fox Sports on, on the big channel after Mike McCarthy's firing and also by Tony Dungy you know and and you sometimes have to wonder how much of that is the semantics how much is okay you take Mike's side somebody takes the Packer side and some of that but this was, this happened so quickly. You wonder, you know, it was a ter- I, you know Terry Bradshaw is is genuine. Yeah, you know, and I do respect him. He'll he'll state an opinion. I don't always agree with it, but I was I was almost shocked, taken aback by how he was seemed almost visibly upset that McCarthy was fired. I, I think my initial reaction was just shock. I mean, I, I called it right. like all Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, you know, I was just telling people, bumping into him, hey, if they lose to the Cardinals, his ass is grass. Like, that's it. He's done. I didn't 
think that that meant necessarily that he would get his papers that night. I just meant in the sense of, you know, come, you know, the Monday following week 17 when they're asking, you know, you know, when did you basically settle on this decision? You know, you know, Mike Mike Murphy or Gutekunst or whoever would go to the podium and say, you know, really that that loss against Arizona was was pretty much the nail in the coffin or something to that effect. But, you know, out of respect to Mike, we wanted to give him the opportunity to blah, blah, blah. So I wasn't I wasn't surprised that it happened. It was just kind of like you were saying, the way it unfolded. And it kind of caught, I think, everybody a little bit by surprise just because you don't really see something like that. A coach that's been with a team that long, a coach that's uh, won a Super Bowl, a coach that um, holds a bunch of franchise records, a coach, you know, the list could go on and on. I just don't think a lot of people expected it coming the when, when and how and why it did. But I think there's those in the in in on the Jeff Orlowski side. I was kind of I I'll be honest. I'm a little bit on the fence. In hindsight, you know my you know my buddy Terry, who's been on the podcast, and Jeff and Dad have been have been correct. But for those saying, oh, they were this is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. That was eight years ago. Yeah, you know, and 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 you hear and and, and you hear them talking about. You know they'll 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 talk about the stats. Super Bowl champion, six NFL North titles, nine playoff appearances. You know all this and and the regular season record. Well, here's the one that hurts the most. This is the one they don't really talk about. Five playoff wins in the last eight years. Yeah, and you have Aaron Rodgers. That is why he got fired, along with this and what we you know what's been is two and six record, I think, in the last eight games. Because if they lost to the Cardinals, this was a mercy killing. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think they would have won another game. And I tell you what, that this game, for him to come out of that tunnel uh, this coming Sunday against Atlanta, it would have been deafening the booze. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, going back to your uh, your question about the national guys, Steve, I think that uh, it's not surprising. You know, the national guys don't watch every Packer game. They they don't sit there. Terry Bradshaw it's does really not. It's really obvious. It really yeah. was. Yeah. So you they look really... at the numbers. They see the regular season record. They see all the North titles and all that. They're, they're not watching and uh, living and dying on every play like we are where we see the same unimaginative crap. You know, uh, last week the Andy Benoit article was huge, and Bill was talk. Bill Michaels was talking about it. Gary was talking about it. Oh, see, there's more people that say that it's Rogers' fault and not Mike McCarthy's fault. Well, if you read that Andy Benoit article, it's a bunch of shit. It's garbage. There's nothing new in there. His idea of McCarthy having a more imaginative offense. His example was having Devontae Adams in the backfield and running a play that Rodgers did not throw Adams the ball. We've had Randall Cobb in the backfield for five fucking years. That's mm-hmm. not imaginative. It doesn't work also. It, it doesn't work. No. Well, you know, and it was funny. It was, you know, we got the guys and Terry's son is there, you know, and his kid's 18 years old, and here comes Mercedes Lewis. I said, hey, Ethan, watch this. Two tight ends, see? See, when, when Lewis comes in, it's going to be a running play 95% of the time. Yeah. What was it? Aaron Jones got stuffed for a two-yard <laughs> loss. I said, there you go. I said, that's why he's going to get fired. And then little did we know, two-plus two, uh, two hours later, he was. But it was, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 
here, look, Mercedes Lewis, here you go. It's a running play. Yeah, well, and, and they he, had him. They had eight guys in the box. Uh huh. And down the stretch in that game, when they needed offense, they had Jamal Williams in the backfield right. instead of Aaron yeah. freaking Jones. It doesn't there's, make any sense. There's, I think, ultimately, what it boils down to is. You're, you know, you've already sealed the deal now, essentially, on back-to-back losing seasons. You lost a game that you should have obliterated the Cardinals in. Um, and regardless of if the play calls were, quote-unquote, correct, given the situation, or if the rotations made sense, yada, 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 whatever, he was a head coach of a losing football team. And regardless of how much he knows or how much, uh, how many good situations he put his players in, they didn't get the job done, and ultimately when the standard is winning and you're not winning, he could very well have actually been making great play calls, and Rodgers was audibling out of them into horrible calls at the line of scrimmage. We can't know that. But ultimately, it was a losing season from a franchise that is expected to win, and you have to make a statement some way, somehow. I was getting, uh, earlier today, I was getting in the conversation with Leroy Butler in the break room by the coffee machine, and, and we're just kind of chatting it up. Um, and thinking about the teams historically in the NFL that have proven to be successful for long periods of time. And specifically, let's just take the clock way back because it's the Then and Now podcast, half of, half of the Then and Now podcast. Um, Vince Lombardi's Packers. It wasn't some harebrained crazy scheme with these, you know, wild innovative approaches to playing football. It wasn't... Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't necessarily that these players were wildly more athletic or more talented, but fundamentally they understood the game. They knew what they could do, and they executed it to perfection. We could be talking about a team very realistically when you look at some of the close losses they took this season to the Arizonas of the world, to the Detroits of the world, to the Los Angeles Rams of the world. This team could have very easily been, um, I don't know, you know how many wins would that be? Like seven, seven, two, and one. Yeah. Like that's very within the and that Minnesota tie could have been a win. And when it all, what it all came down to is that tie in Minnesota. If Clay Matthews understood the sack rule and how to how to play that correctly, and granted that was a really fucked up situation for the entire NFL, that would have been a win on the season. If Ty Montgomery doesn't fumble, understanding basic fundamental football, that could have been a win. Really, the only games that they were out of this season were against Washington and New England. They were in every single other game this season for a full fourth, full four quarters. And in each of those games that they lost outside of those two or tied in the case of Minnesota, you can look to one or two specific plays where a player, not the coach, not the play call, just fucked up monumentally, did not understand how to play the game. And that rests more on the shoulders of those players not understanding their responsibilities and the position coaches not getting the job done in coaching those players correctly. And then ultimately, again, the brunt of that responsibility when all is said and done falls on the head coach. Yeah, it does. It does. I don't think this football team is as far away as we maybe think it is. They just fundamentally sucked at playing football this year. Fundamentally. But on the flip side of that, Anthony, if you look at some of those wins that the Packers were able to get – there was, you know, that Bears game that uh, the the cornerback just dropped a yeah. the easiest interception anybody will ever get in the history of the league. <laughs> uh, that would have sealed the deal, and the Bears would have beat the Packers. 
you know, so there are losses that we won. So right. yes, we could be seven and three or you know, or seven and four, but we could also be, you know, two and ten. So it uh you know, it's just such a crazy season. Such a crazy season. Yeah, it certainly has been. And now I guess the next question is where do we go from here? I uh, this is this is this is it's been a while, not 13 years, obviously, but this is going to be fun for sports radio these next four oh, weeks. It's going to be it, great. I mean, the speculation going just in uh, three days, it's really starting to it's really starting to heat up, and we have our first delete, first scratch off the list, and this this news had just broken. I don't know if you guys heard, but can you guess? who has taken himself out of the running for the Packers job. Cliff Klingsbury. <laughs> Please, God, no, not him. Bruce Arians. Okay. Bruce Arians said, I do not want that job. Now, Pro Football Talk had an interesting uh, poll. And, you know, they, you know you can, these polls are kind of skewed. But it's still, it, it, it's interesting uh, it, it shows how much things can change within a year. They had a poll, what is the more attractive job, Cleveland Browns or the Packers? And there's been a lot of comparisons. You know, you have you have the established star and you have the up-and-coming star. You have more of a base talent pool, a younger talent pool in Cleveland. But 52% picked Cleveland, 48 Packers. And way lower expectations on top of that. Right. And way lower. So, I mean, there, I you know when when before the season started Jeff and I had had spoken and we were talking and other people around the station here and we we were all saying is well if it doesn't work out for McCarthy this year this is going to be such an attractive job and it still is the franchise is still one of the 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 five stars the big five stars in of of when it comes to franchises and you want to be I mean, that is something special to have on your resume, coach of the Green Bay Packers. But it's interesting now. It was a slam dunk, number the number one job. But now, you know, I don't know if it's number two, but there is definitely a 1A and 1B at this point. Yeah, but I don't think that it matters what, uh, what you know, Bill from Alabama is voting oh, in a poll. That. You know, uh, and Bruce Arians, yes, you know, he would have been good because he's a good coach. Runs a great offense and everything like that, but he's too old and right. he's going to die on the yeah. sidelines. That that's the thing for me is I like Bruce Arians, the man and the coach, right. and I know Bruce Arians could literally kill himself over doing this again. Yeah, and, and as much as I think he would be a great coach because I love the guy, I can't see him do that to himself. I, you kind of hope not because you know if you're not just there, here but anywhere in the NFL. Well, yeah, you know, say he takes the Cleveland job, which he said, you know, rumors are is that he said that if he's going to coach any team in the league, it'll be Cleveland or he's he not loves coaching anybody. Restoration projects. Yeah, that guy. But you know, if he takes that Cleveland job, man, I would imagine two and a half years in, you know, it'll be Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati. And down goes Bruce, and uh, out comes the coroner, and they wheel his ass. And here's there the other one. They were then there was some talking with with the Urban Meyer news today. You know, well he's he, but he's kind of in the same situation. I I was watching that game where he's he's on his knee. You know, he had to take a knee during the game. I'm like, that's a red flag, and I'm thinking, 
he's not going to be coaching yeah. too much longer because that's some serious shit going on with him. And that, you know, you you have, and there are just some guys who are just on. There might be now. There might be an underlying medical problem. We don't know, but I mean, he's one of these guys. He's up by thirty points, and he is still the veins are popping out on his head. Yeah. So he he's a guy that has an issue with stress and that. And to be honest, I don't think a an NFL job at this point isn't. I think we're going to see him as in in a nice, comfy studio from now on. Probably, you know, he's got the headaches, uh, Urban Meyer, and all that. And uh, you know, I I would love him in Green Bay, um, but that's just me. You know, though, also, and, and Steve, as you were mentioning, he, he took a knee in that Big Ten title game because he just he couldn't hang. If Andy Reid and Mike McCarthy can keep their fat asses standing for a full four quarters of football and Urban Meyer can't do it, yeah, probably a good to fair chance, much like much like Bruce Arians, that he physically, <laughs> mentally, or, or morally, you could argue, is not the right guy to be running an NFL franchise. On that note, though, um, are there any guys that uh, either of you... Um, because, you know, the rumor mill is already heating up as to who, you know, Vegas well, is releasing odds. And Everybody scared, on that yeah. list, I wouldn't want within 100 miles of Green Bay with a cheese head on the end of the pole. I would just be keeping them so far away, specifically Josh McDaniels. Well, I don't want anywhere fucking near this organization. Let's, I'll, I'll walk through the – let me walk through the list here, and then we can uh, talk about – okay, number one is Josh McDaniels. Now, there's talk about the negativity – I understand the pros and the cons. The Colts thing, though, is is <laughs> I can't get past that. It, well, here's here's the thing. I spent a lot of time in Indianapolis. Ursa is a nut job. Yeah, and we don't know what. Who knows? Those two could have been at some strip club on the south side of Indy. God knows what happened, but I think something happened. Either that, who know? You know, Ursa might. <laughs> Who knows? He might have pulled out a straw and did a one-foot line in front of him. <laughs> I don't know. But there's a lot of rumors around Indianapolis, and there's a lot of stories about him. And he is he's one of these guys, you know, fun to party with, but I don't know if you want him to, you know, have your have your have your career in his hands. So I kind of give him a mulligan on that, just knowing what I know about Ursay. But uh, Josh McDaniels, as as right now, we're only three days into it. We got a long way to go, but he's obviously and 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 by betting odds, he's the early leader. Jeff, what do you think about Josh McDaniels? No thanks. Uh, but you know I, the way that I saw the Josh McDaniels Indianapolis thing is that Tom Brady flexed his muscles and got Jimmy G moved out of town. I think Robert Kraft. Uh, sat there and said, okay, well, I owe Belichick one, and I think Belichick flexed his muscles and said, you know, I'm not going to be here all that much longer. I would like this guy to be my successor. And so I think that was the reason why, you know, I think he was promised the Patriots job after Bill Belichick leaves. The only problem is that Belichick is probably going to retire the same time as Brady, you do, uh, you don't have Jimmy G anymore. The well, cupboard is fucking bare over there. Mm-hmm. So I could see him wanting to move on, but I don't want him in Green Bay. And he did say uh, this quote today: "If if that's in the cards for me, then great." So he's either positioning himself to take one of the two jobs, 
or maybe get another raise. So with that, we'll see. Uh, everyone's favorite, at least it seems around here at the, in, in uh, WSSP, Lincoln Riley. No. Why not? Uh, well, a couple of reasons, but just to wrap up some things on Josh McDaniels too. I don't have any interest in a guy that proved that he um, is a losing head coach with other franchises. And I also don't want a guy that, much like we've said about Mike McCarthy, um, really doesn't have an imaginative offense. His offense in Denver wasn't good. His offense when he was the uh, offensive coordinator in St. Louis under, I think it was Spagnolo, wasn't good either. Um, and as I've mentioned in other podcasts, and, and maybe it's finally going to you know happen in one still to come, um, the Patriots' offense isn't special either. That offense is predicated on taking what the defense gives you. They're really not that creative. They really don't have as much as it's it's made out to be. They really don't have a ton of playmakers. And Tom Brady, uh, for what it's made out to be, also really isn't all that good. His receivers are consistently wide fucking open because they're taking one cut 10 yards down the field and he just hits them every time a throw that Chad Pennington could have made. Yeah, so there, there's a, a parting blow on Josh McDaniels. He really, his offense is no more imaginative or creative or spellbinding than anything we've seen from Mike McCarthy. Okay, so Anthony is on the fence with Josh McDaniels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, All right. So, um, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln. and this goes. There's, there's really two rules I have for the uh, a head coaching gig um, that I don't want. Josh McDaniels crosses one of those off in terms of I don't want an already failed NFL head coach. Okay. The second thing is I don't want somebody that's never coached in the NFL. I don't care what Lincoln Riley did at Oklahoma. We saw what Nick Saban did at LSU. That didn't transfer over in his first bid into the pros at all. We saw what Pete Carroll did his first crack at the NFL coming out of college. That didn't work. We have example after example of guys that go extremely uh, go immediately from the college ranks to the NFL and it not working with that three-year exception probably of Jim Harbaugh, which then you saw the wheels completely fell off because his message didn't work after year three. As soon as they faced adversity, he did not know how to communicate with NFL players. So Lincoln Riley, uh-uh, not interested. I don't care. Anybody can put up 50 points a week in the Big 12. He does not impress me whatsoever. Uh, you know I'm all in. This Bring him here tomorrow. This is the one that scares me. John D. Filippo. That offense sucks this year, too. Right. They've got playmakers. That offense should be record setting the amount I, of playmakers I'm always, they have in I'm Minnesota. I'm scary when your divisional rival would be. Sure. Uh, what else can we throw in? Uh, you guys want anything else with them? Because uh, yeah. I'm sure the Viking fans aren't, aren't too thrilled with them. Yeah. No, thanks. No. Eric B. Enemy. I don't know who that is. So I no. vote yes. I, I like him. I Fill had, me in. Who is I, I've been playing fantasy football so long, I had him on a couple of my fantasy football teams. Yeah? yeah. Who is it? Eric so- sleeping with the enemy, as the old uh, Berman would say. <laughs> He's the Chiefs OC, you yeah. said? Yeah. Uh... At Chiefs offense. He's, he's learned from Andy Reid much in the way that Mike McCarthy has proven um, that he's not very good at, at going deep into the playoffs. Right, but Andy Reid's coaching tree is full of successful head coaches that have left Andy Reid's program, went somewhere else, and, and succeeded, where Bill Belichick's coaching tree is full of unsuccessful coaches that have left and have fallen flat on their face. Fair enough. As opposed to Mike McCarthy's head coaching tree, which, oh, shit, there isn't one. Yeah. 
So. I got I got a sleeper pick. I don't know if he's on this list you're going through, Steve, but when we wrap this up, we'll see if, if we can get in on Pete on Carmichael. Where is he at? Where is Pete Carmichael at? Well, he's above ground. He's not dead yet. That's why he's going to be the next coach. We don't know about him. Jay Gruden. I, no. Okay, oh, hell no. I don't I want Eddie Gruden. Aaron Zach Taylor. Zach no. Taylor is the offensive coordinator with the Rams, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, or the quarterback quarterbacks coach, one of the yeah. two, I think. I only no. like him because he shares the name of the what, 13th or 14th president of the United States. Yeah, Zachary, Zachary Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, Pete Carmichael, he's the uh, offensive coordinator of the Saints. Okay. I vote no oh, for right. him okay. because that's Sean Payton's baby, that offense mm-hmm. down there. That's not Pete Carmichael's baby. So everybody knows that Sean Payton is the one that calls the shots and runs the show down there. So I, I don't need his lackey, sure. you know, to sit there and, and try to do the exact same thing, especially when the Saints are going to be the number one seed in the NFC this season. So if we take Carmichael, he's going to bring the exact same damn playbook. Well, I think Sean Payton can figure out how to stop his own damn playbook. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Probably probably you wouldn't like Zach Taylor on the same principle then. That Rams offense is Sean McVay's baby. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah, John Harbaugh. I don't think Hell. he's going to get nope. fired. Nope, no thanks. David Shaw from Stanford. Nope. Interesting, interesting. Uh, but I, I'd take uh, Lincoln Riley over him. Why, why he's on? I guess I guess they had to throw. I guess this is Vegas odds, so they just threw him on here. Todd Bowles. Uh, we won't even talk Hell about no. that. Mm-mm. Dirk Cutter. No, no. no. I'd ha- I'd rather have Todd Bowles than Dirk Cutter. That much I can tell you. Now, this is one that, that, Mike that had a lot of negativity, <laughs> but it, Gary Kubiak. I now, don't. people go, whoa, oh, their offense sucked. Well, they had a 50, he was more like a 50-year-old Peyton man. He, more, he was more 50 than he was 40. And he's more of a ground game specialist, too. Right. So he works great in a situation where, and, and this is where I get to before, I actually like the idea of Gary Kubiak. Because um, as I mentioned before, the, the two rules, nobody that hasn't coached in the right. NFL, nobody that's a failed NFL coach. Gary Kubiak won a Super Bowl. He also built the Houston Texans from absolute misery to their first playoff competing roster. I don't think Gary Kubiak's a bad coach. I just don't know if he's the right fit. If he is a good fit, it's probably because he's an offensive line ground game specialist. And if you can work out that relationship with Aaron Rodgers of, look, dude, here's how we're going to handle the ground game to kind of play off of what you're doing in the passing game. You work out with your offensive coordinator, your quarterback's coach, what you want to do route-wise, personnel-wise when we're trying to you know, work the passing game. I can give you the running game that will be respectable enough that it opens things up for you. All right, here's my problem with your rules, Anthony. So you don't want anybody who's not been an NFL head coach. Not a, not a head coach, but just like, uh, what's his name, Lincoln Riley? Hasn't coached in the NFL, period. Oh, okay, okay, because I was going to say. Yeah, there's nobody left at that point. Well, yeah, because, yeah, if they were, if you didn't want a failed head coach, and, you know, then they, if they would if they were fail, weren't failed, they'd still have a damn job. So. Sure. Okay, all right, that makes sense. Uh, but Gary Kubiak, on the same in the same light, though, just like Urban Meyer or Bruce Arians, he stepped down because he physically could not handle it 
anymore because he's you know old as dirt. No, so no, cut his, that out. He he keeps his hair dyed jet black to mislead anybody. He's secretly eighty years old, just like Thon Maker. <laughs> I remember it. Now cut that out because I remember him as a as a player. Uh, no, he had a, a, a minor. He had a stroke, which can can technically hit anybody at any sure, age. Sure, so. sure. And the next guy, the only reason why he's on any of these lists is because of how he spells his name. And that's Cliff Kingsbury. Because <laughs> he has, if his name was Cliff with a C, nobody would care about this guy. Well, I, I, I'm serious. I think they like him. USC. Yeah, he's going to be the USC offensive coordinator. But he'd leave that job in a second, I'd bet, if the Packers came calling. Yeah, but no thanks. No way. thanks. The next one? Mike Dicka. Uh, no. Joe. <laughs> Because I, I, I seriously think Joe the Packers Buck. I seriously think the Packers could could run out the rest of the schedule and Joe Philbin. Smoking Joe Philbin. If I had to choose somebody on the coaching staff right now to be a head coach, if I had to, I know it, where it you're breaks, going. It breaks my going. rules inherently, but I would rather have Mike Pettin at okay. the helm than Joe Philbin. Damn it breaks straight. it breaks the rules I've, I I've explained. Go, but if you're Moss. forcing me to choose <laughs> Winston Moss, I do like his approach to the mic. Do we'll like, say that. We will we'll talk about that coming <laughs> up next. So stay tuned for that. Marvin Lewis, no. Steve no. Steve Carcesian? No. 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 Too much baggage. Nick Saban. Nope. Nope. Really? Nope. He's an asshole. I but he'd be our asshole. You know I don't care. I don't think that where Lincoln Riley and his offense is very innovative and everything like that. I think that a majority of Saban's success is that he just puts the sign out on in, you know in front of Alabama now recruiting and all the best players go <laughs> to Cuz they know they they can win. Yeah. I don't know how he swung that. He's you like know, he's like Phil Jackson. He has self-sustaining success. Yeah, I could win NBA titles with not, Pippen and Jordan and Rodman and Shaq and Kobe and uh, you know yeah. I could win those fucking things. So, no. I don't think there's a job in the world that Nick Saban would leave Alabama for at this point. Mm. I don't care if they offer him $100 million. His ego is He so is royalty. Big. He is royalty in the South. He is. That, that's yeah. power and prestige that money will not buy you. <laughs> Uh-oh. If he's laughing, who's the next Well, one? I think they just throw these on for shits and grins. They have Brian Kelly on here, Urban Meyer... As we talked about Michael Holmgren and Brett Favre. Oh come on, that's <laughs> so stupid. Well, you just threw those in for like I said. You know, literally, Kelly, no way. Games. I don't want anybody who has anything to do oh, with Dave Notre Taub, Dame. We, I missed Dave Tobe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he doesn't do One much. One guy for they me. didn't they didn't talk about. Who's that? Somebody that we tried to hire before the start of the year. Ninety miles south. Oh, Nagy. No. Oh, Fangio? Vic Fangio. Yeah, but we've got a decent defensive coordinator now. We you don't keep need... Keep Philbin? Do you, well, Hell uh, no, if you can I keep, keep Philbin I don't and want... have Fangio. <laughs> no. I don't want no, Philbin. I don't want Philbin either. I But I do think this do you four remember, weeks, if this you, offense just completely does a 180 and starts kicking ass, yeah, I then could be swayed maybe on Joe Philbin. I can consider keeping Philbin, but as of right now, no way. Okay. But you could, you would neuter one of your opponents by doing that. I don't Someone. care. They'll figure it out. Okay. They have playmakers. That is that's true. A, that is a great job if you're a prospective defensive coordinator. 
Um, I don't know why he would want to leave that job, even right. for the head coaching job right now, if you're the Packers, because he has maybe the best defensive arsenal in the NFC outside of well, outside of the Rams. I think he knows if they win the Super Bowl in the next two years, he's going to be he's going to be he's going to be thought of as uh, Buddy Ryan. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. But, uh, you know, I for me it just doesn't make any sense. Like I said, we you know. I'm I'm fine with Petten. Uh he struggled in the first half a lot this season, but you see the adjustments that he makes at halftime, which is one of the main complaints that was lobbied against uh mediocre Mike all those years is that there was never any adjustments made. And you know, the Packers have a damn good defense in the second half. So, uh bringing in Fangio to go along with Petten Seems like kind of defensive overkill to me when you've got Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and, you know, Aaron Jones and all that, uh, and you just need to get the offense off the ground. I just think, I'm just looking personnel-wise, in theory, what this offense could look like next year in Green Bay. Even if Aaron Rodgers has another year like he did this year, which um, I think we can convincingly pump the brakes on the idea that Aaron Rodgers can't play anymore. Right. Like when you look at what the guy's actually working with and considering that he probably played the first eight season or eight weeks of the season with one knee and also got zero reps virtually in the, in the preseason, whether it be in game or in camp um, with the guys that he's now actually having to work with. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the sky is, is the limit really, I think with the offense, because You've still got Aaron Jones. You can rely on him. Jamal Williams, for what it's worth, is not a bad option to have as your number two running back, your change of pace back. I think you could benefit from getting another true running back um, in there. Um, I, th- I think it's safe to close the door on the this idea of you have to have uh, a, a vertical threat tight end in the NFL. Because if anything, as the Packers have added more and more, quote, vertical guys at the tight end position, their offenses have been getting worse. Yep. Absolutely. Jared Cook, when they had Jared Cook as their number one tight end, that was probably the best the offense has looked in the time since. Yeah. Because Martellus Bennett was, in theory, the better vertical option. That offense got worse. Jimmy Graham was supposed to be better, as it were, than Martellus Bennett, and that offense got worse. So unless you legitimately have a guy who is a complete game changer, comes out of nowhere, that you can't help but design an offense around, like a Rob Gronkowski, like a Travis Kelsey... Throwing him into the mix when the strength of your offense, weapons-wise, is Devontae Adams just doesn't make sense. Right. This offense could be doing just as much, saving $5 million on Jimmy Graham uh, and trotting out whatever combination of Mercedes Lewis, Lance Kendricks, and Robert Tanyan. They could be getting just as much done. Um, I think the biggest thing for the offense, assuming that Cobb is gone, Geronimo Allison comes back, and you can line him up opposite Devontae Adams, that then between a second-year Valdez-Scantling a second-year Equinemius St. Brown, and hopefully Jamon Moore can prove to do something, that even if one of those guys goes down with injury, you're still looking to be in a pretty decent shape when these guys now all have another year, full year, working together. So I just don't think, um, as much as we've looked at this offense and thought, wow, they really, um, you know, they really suck this year, when you really look at kind of like the big picture of everything that has gone into why the offense sucks... 
I don't think it's like, and I think Joe Philbin said this yesterday when he went to the podium. There's enough there that they can turn this thing around pretty quickly if they're disciplined and they have the right approach to it. The cupboard's not completely bare. I think the bigger issue is adding legitimate game changers to the defensive side of the ball because right now they can slow a team down, but there's nobody that you can count on on the defensive side of the ball that you can say essentially, you know, player X, we need something here, make something happen. You don't have that guy. Right, you don't. And that's why they got to move Josh Jackson to safety and they got to move him now because you got a guy who's a born ball hawk with Iowa. Yeah. Had so many interceptions and turnovers and everything like that. And he's known as not the fastest guy. I want him out there playing center field. Football players. Just fucking cherry picking. Just going and after look, these picks, man. He seems so look tentative. At, look yeah, at the way does. the NFL is skewing right now. Like, essentially, if you don't have your hand in the dirt, you have to be able to cover. Right. You have to be able to, to make a play on the ball. So when you, you look at a defensive landscape that, in a way, Almost routinely now, it's going to have to feature five defensive backs, whether it be um, you know, two corners, three safeties, or um, a deep safety and a dime package, however you want to look at it. Josh Jackson has the opportunity to be on the field essentially 100% of the time, um, whether that be as a dime corner, as a third safety, essentially, even though he doesn't play safety, but serving that role in a defense. And then that also frees you up to use Josh Jones in the box, which is really... Josh Jones should ne- is never and should never uh, be perceived as a center fielder. No. He can't cover, dudes. His strength is essentially lining up in the box and either rushing the passer or lining up on a running back or a fullback or a tight end and keeping them trying to bump and run with them within like 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Yep. That's really the only skill Josh Jones has. And these last four weeks, I want him to play every you single saw it, snap. Yeah, you saw it. When they played him correctly, it worked. Mm-hmm. Dom Capers never did that. No. Kudos to Mike Patton. That's why I like that guy. Well, it's the old it's, you know, square peg round hole thing. Trying to change these players. Well, we drafted him as a safety. We think we can convert him. Nick you Perry know? is a prime example of oh, how exactly. that does not work. As right. was Dayton Jones, as was Mike Neal. Ron, that Randall, does not work. Rollins. Yeah. All you know. those guys. It's just it's littered with them. Mm-hmm. These guys are, you know, and the other thing I liked is, is – you know, all these guys that are drafting for speed and, you know, this guy has to be they so They can't fast. play. I want football players. I want guys who understand the game because I would rather have a guy who can anticipate than a guy who has to react and then catch up to the play. Mm-hmm. In the sometimes you can Sometimes you can get away with that, but there's just some guys that are natural football players. Yeah, the, but the mental... we need speed because we're still slower. Oh, we're well, working that's... on that, and yeah, well, yeah Alexander's getting... a but... perfect example oh, yeah. of a guy who, who's you can you can see it. Hey, we got a player here. Oh, the, yeah. the balance between those two things, though, like because you were mentioning Steve, it doesn't matter how fast you are if you're a half a second behind right. the play. That's the same as a guy being whatever four two versus four seven in the forty mm-hmm. when you can't make that mental judgment. So I don't care if he's four two and and has a brain the size of a walnut when it comes to football. I'd rather have a guy that's maybe 4-4 and knows what's going on every single snap of a football game because that guy, what he lacks in physical speed, like you were mentioning, is ahead of the play and is, instead of reacting to the play, um, is, is able to proactively kind of put the wide receiver in his position. It's just like when the Bengals drafted John Ross. Oh, fastest time, this and that. Yeah, but... He's a straight line guy, and he, historically, those guys don't do catch. much. Right. Well, the Raiders did that for years yeah. 
when they uh, got Darius Hayward, Hayward Bay, Bay. In the first round. Chris and Johnson fizzled it out once his knees couldn't hold yeah, up. All those guys. The, so the there combine is a warriors. It they can't be them the only thing. You, yeah, it can't be the only thing that you bring to the table is that you're fast. But I agree with you, Jeff. Like physical speed coupled with guys that mentally can keep up with the game would be would be incredible. Like Perfect. Charles Woodson, for example, wasn't blazing fast, oh. but he was so mentally prepared for yes. that game that as he got older, he was still able to contribute. Um, you know, at an age that most guys, I mean, and eventually he did make the move back to safety, but he stayed playing legit NFL corner for a lot longer than most guys would at his age. Yeah. Oh, you look at Patrick Lindsay this year. That's just a baller. Nobody wanted him. Undrafted yeah. free agent. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just you want the guys that can just are that are just players. That's so important. Well, if I could put my brain into a fast guy's head, he would be the perfect player. Yeah, he would be. <laughs> Probably smoke a lot though. Yeah, he might smoke a little bit. But looking <laughs> Looking like one of those players in the '60s on the on the sideline, right? Yeah, smoking on the sideline, <laughs> or smoking during halftime. He's got a sl- uh, pack of smokes rolled up in the sleeve of his jersey in case there's a TV timeout, so he can grab a quick one. See, that'd be perfect. Just what we need. Jesus. <laughs> uh, you're listening Get to the back. combo of the uh, Professor and Pipe Bomb and the Green and Gold Then and Now podcast. Jeff Orlowski, Anthony Mandela, and the Encyclopedia, Mr. Steve Zaki, all here. Well, I just want to touch base about you know not being not fair to McCarthy. You know, we we brushed on it, but I, I think it's a it was a smart move for for the two reasons. He saved McCarthy from a lot of grief. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and boy, that press conference you could tell you, it was it was even worse than after that Seattle game. So I think that it was a mercy killing, and and like I said, you put you put the Packers in a position. Okay, now we know where we're at. There is a coaching. Now we can start talking. You you can do you know do the whispers in the corridors and so you know behind the scenes type stuff, which is very important at this stage of the game, because like I said, if if they wouldn't have, I think it's very very feasible they go on for. No. I wouldn't be opposed to them going 0-4. Right now, if the season ended right now, we draft 10. (laughs) And I would like to get up to 5 or 6. And, uh, you know, I... I'm not sure what we're going to see. Another wide receiver or another uh, yeah. uh, quarterback? And, uh, they want to draft a receiver. I'll be up there choking them. Uh, <laughs> Unless it's punter. an offensive lineman, I wouldn't touch an offensive player in rounds one or two. Well, you know, but you look back at the Packers it. draft like the last five years. You know, the majority of our draft picks have all been on defense, and they all yeah. suck. And so, yes, you know, with the fair to Mike McCarthy thing, you know, Ted Thompson – you know, he's getting roasted, but he's not getting roasted as bad as he should because everybody feels bad because, oh, God, he's he old. down the stretch. He was but, fucking horrible, Steve. There's yeah, nobody from that, that 2014 draft well, cap class that, But the, supposedly there was a, some physical issues, and I wonder if he had some right, which CTE is, stuff going on or something. Well, which is why Mark Murphy needs to get lit right. up because he let, allowed that to happen, and he allowed yep. Ted to keep his damn did job. You hear, did you hear the remarks that supposedly McCarthy was on the hot seat in 2016 yeah. when they went on that run? That's an interesting dynamic. And that run essentially saved him his job. Hindsight. And I'm on this, I'm on this train, and, and so is Jeff, that – 
it should have been after the championship game it's with Seattle. Yep. I always said that if you want to talk about the throwback then and now, you know, you always hear about the 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 wild card game with the Oilers and the Bills. Yeah, the Matt, Jack, Jack Pardee. Jack Pardee was the coach of the uh, Oilers, and he was a former player, and previously had uh, he actually replaced George Allen with the Washington Redskins. A very, uh, uh, very you know, a very uh, coach that was looked up uh, looked up upon successful. But I always said, at losing that way to in a, such a big game and how they lost. That I always thought, even as a, as a kid, I'm looking at, I'm going, you got to fire the guy because as a player, I can't respect him because we lost that game. And sure enough, they didn't. They always stay on, but Adam stood behind him and that, and well, they just fired him the next week or next year, <laughs> next year, because it was, uh, you know, they were like four and 12 or five and 11, whatever it was. And you could see it coming a mile away, but they didn't want to fire him at, and in hindsight, after that Seattle debacle, they should have fired because, and that's, and that's when, you know, those of us who look in, why don't we have those timeouts in the fourth quarter? That's when this stuff really started to pile on. And so when you have guys like Terry Bradshaw and Tony Dungy going, I can't believe they fired him. Like, it's like, hey, watch as many Packer games as we have, and, and you'll understand why this happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. I uh, On that note, too, I think, because who was the special teams coach? When they lost that game in Seattle, was that Sean Slocum that lost his job yes. after yeah. that? That was the right move, because even though the offense sputtered, it was again just like, and just like this year, like Tremont Williams muffing that punt, whatever that was, two weeks ago now. Um, Ty Montgomery special teams gaffes seemingly follow this team like the plague. Mm-hmm. So I was actually surprised after uh, the Ty Montgomery fumble that Ron Zook didn't lose his job right away. I think a move like yeah. that could have spared Mike McCarthy right. at this point in the yeah. season because he would have proven, essentially, that he's not kind of complacent with the state of the franchise. Um, and it might have it wouldn't, wouldn't have necessarily bought him next season, but it probably would have bought him through Week 17. Um, and on, the, on, a, on a similar note, after, after the Super Bowl, when your defense went and ruined, essentially, your 15-1 miracle season, and your defense then ruined 2013, and 2015, and 2016, at a certain point, also firing Dom Capers at an appropriate juncture when the defense proved that it did not have it anymore, could have also bought Mike McCarthy through Week 17 of this season. Because in theory, Capers would have been out. We could have been in Year 2, Year 3 maybe of a new defensive coordinator. And this defense, when Aaron Rodgers was getting banged up and missed the stretch that he did last year and couldn't play at his full ability this year, the defense could have kept you afloat through some of these um, losses you've endured over the past two seasons. So there's lots of opportunities that Mike McCarthy had to change things on his staff when he didn't have the personnel that we all think that Ted maybe would have, should have given him. Mike McCarthy had the opportunity to change things on his coaching staff, and he didn't take them. So, you know, like I was mentioning before, there are a couple of instances of guys not being coached upright that had a hand in their in their record this season. Mike McCarthy had the opportunity to bring in the guys that could have avoided that. Ultimately still fell on the player being a dumbass, but Mike McCarthy had lots of opportunities to mold his coaching staff over the 13 seasons that he was here 
and he stuck with the quote-unquote Packer way of trying not to rock the boat and and, and kind of giving guys maybe more rope than they should have gotten. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you guys had just said. Uh, you know, Steve, it was definitely an old yeller uh, ending for Mike McCarthy. Put that damn dog out of his misery. And uh, except I, I didn't shed any tears over uh, McCarthy. The um, the problem that the Packers are going to have going forward is so it, it definitely seems like Mark Murphy's going to be picking the next head coach and not Brian Gudikins. That's fucked up. It is fucked up. And, you know, they can say that, oh, yeah, they're going to sit there and do it in, you know, in. Uh, in tandem and they're, you know, and all this kind of shit, but it comes down where it's, it's going to be Mark Murphy's call. The problem that I see is that when you bring in the new coach, whoever it is, they're going to be handcuffed walking in the door because they, if they are allowed to bring in their own defensive coordinator and it's not uh, directly said to them, you need to keep petting. They can only interview three, four defensive coordinators because you don't have the time left in Aaron Rodgers' career to flip the defensive roster into a 4-3 defense now because that's going to take two to three years. And the whole while, you're pissing away Rodgers' career, which is why we got rid of McCarthy. So they are in a tough situation. Well, you go ahead, Stephen. I'll I'll see what you have. I I think you're you're seeing more – you know, unless you have the players, right? I mean, it makes sense, obviously. If you have the players, you're going to go with a four-three. But it, it seems like I, I would want to stick with a three-four if I'm a coach coming into the league now because there's so much passing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just seems more natural. I mean, most of the times the Packers are in a dime situation, anyways, dime package, anyways, mm-hmm. or a nickel package. I mean, and and so many times you're you're, you're in a dime situation with so many passing downs. So it, it's. But I think with with, uh, with with this move that Murphy's making, you know, I think he's trying to make a big splash here. I think he wants to put his mark on the team. This is, you know, he's 63, and I think he knows, you know, he wants to bring in a guy, a big, big guy. I think I think it's going to be, I don't, it's, it's going to be a, a personality. I really do. And, and. Because then a good and kissed, you can go. Well, you know, you're the you're he's, he's going to be more of a personnel guy, I think, next to the, this big splashy guy, whoever he is. I just have a feeling about this. That's why he he seems very emphatic about that at the press conference. So you wonder if he he wants he wants to put this stamp on the organization and take and and in four or five years say, look at where I left this organization, you know. We won the Super Bowl. We're on our way to another Super Bowl, whatever, and then so be it. You know. Hey. I uh, backtracking a little bit to what you were saying, Jeff, about about the three four versus the four three defense, and what you had mentioned, Steve, about um, the proliferation of the uh, and dime. Hey, they agree of the dime packages uh, across the NFL. Um, I don't think this team right now has the defensive personnel or infrastructure to run. Either one, so I feel like they're just well, as many. That's a good point I feel too, like yeah. they're just as many years away from having a successful, viable three-four defense as opposed to a four-three defense. But I would say this in terms of if you look at um, the defensive front seven right now, as it stands on the roster, 
if you want to run a 3-4 defense, it really hinges on two things. A tandem of explosive pass rushers and an absolute incredible field general at middle linebacker. Blake Martinez probably has the mental capacity to be that middle, middle linebacker at, at the very least making up for what he lacks in terms of physical gifts um, at that position. But if you look at every truly successful, not middling, but successful 3-4 defense, they have a guy like Ray Lewis, like London Fletcher, like Jonathan Vilma at the center of it. And two of those three guys are probably, um, well, Ray Lewis is already a Hall of Famer. London Fletcher probably will be a Hall of Famer in the middle of that defense. And with each and every one of those guys, there's somebody rushing the passer outside of them. Terrell Suggs, Jamie Sharper, Peter Bolware, uh, Brian Arakpo, Ryan Kerrigan. All of these teams had guys in the middle anchoring the defense and on the outside rushing the passer. The Packers don't have a legitimate pass rusher right now because Clay Matthews can't play. He can't play anymore. Nick Perry, um, we talked about you know turning guys into things that they're not. Nick Perry was a defensive end at USC. He never played a snap of football in his life, I don't think, standing up off the ground. And yet they had this genius idea, boy, we can get this guy up off the ground and he's going to be the next big thing at outside linebacker when teams know that he couldn't cover. And they knew that if he was lined up, he wasn't that hard to double-team, and he was an absolute wide-open target in the passing game should they drop him back. And you have to be able to do both for it to be really viable. If a guy can't drop back, you know that's one player on the defense that you now have read. So you're saying Kyler Fackrell is not the answer. I'm saying that Kyler (laughs) Fackrell is not the answer in a 3-4 defense because you don't have a viable option next to him. But I would say this. In terms of what you had mentioned, Steve, about how often you need to run a dime package now, and what you said, Jeff, about um, having the personnel. The strength of this team right now, in terms of their front seven, or really their defense in general, are Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels. Those are the two closest things to game-changer difference makers that you have on this defense. So the more opportunities you have to get those two guys on the field, at least as it stands right now, the better. And the most opportunities you're going to get to do that are in a 4-3 scheme because you anchor those two guys at your two defensive tackle spots and then line up a guy like Reggie Gilbert, Kyler Fackrell next to them when you run four down, that's a much better defensive front right now than Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels, Dean Lowry, and Nick Perry. You know, yeah. I would I would be interesting to see if, if the, depending what happens with, with Petten, if, if, they, if they don't keep him what that conversation was early in the year when they brought him in. Was he just a kind of a stopgap? Was he able to do as much? Probably not, I would say. You know, he's kind of, okay, this is what you have. What can you do with this? You mm-hmm. know, it kind of like a when you bring in that, that smoking car to the mechanic, okay, here it is, fix it. You know, and yeah. I think that was kind of the situation he was in. I was very, I, I mean, I, I was very happy when they brought him in. I thought... In hind- you know, I was wrong in hindsight, but I thought, well, okay, you made the changes in front office. You brought in Patton. We'll see what happens because we, what you know, we were promised when they brought in Philbin. We stripped down the offense, and it's all new. Well, we know that was a bunch of bullshit, but you know, so I'd be, I'm kind of, I would like to, and that that exit interview if they don't keep him or whatever. What and when if he talks to the media. 
how much what what was his opinion on what he had and the situation he was brought into? It'd be interesting to hear. I think that's I think it's gonna be a huge part of the coaching search overall. Um head coach certainly and depending on what kind of leeway they get in terms of their coordinators and, and all their staff. Um, I think a huge part of it is going to be under the premise of we have a clock ticking on Aaron Rodgers right now. We want somebody that can come in and make lemonade out of lemons mm-hmm. because we don't have four years to you know hopefully hit on every you know one of our top 50 picks in the draft and get you the playmakers that will take this defense to the next level. We need you to look at this defense and say, all right, well, I you know, I prefer to run a 3-4, but I really have a bunch of 4-3 guys that are converted to outside linebackers and some really good defensive tackles. Uh, I have a bunch of corners but really no safeties. And try to figure out how you're going to scheme with the ingredients that you have. And the same goes on the offensive side of the ball. We don't have you know, a speed burner. We're not going to be able to run a lot of vertical offense. Um, we can throw Devontae Adams deep every now and again, but you know that's not the personnel we have. We're going to have to, at least for this year, run a dink and dunk. And then next year, oh, wow, so-and-so emerged, or we drafted such-and-such such a guy. All right, let's throw in a couple of packages where this guy can go deep, or we can run an end-around with this guy, and it actually works. The Packers have never done that. The Packers are like steadfast in this philosophy, at least under Mike McCarthy, that this is what we run, and these are our players, and we'll coach them up to play in that. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, That's how you lose football games. Right. They have been said fast in their philosophy, which is why it makes me so freaking nervous about, you know, uh, this whole hiring process. You give Mike McCarthy a one-year prove-it deal, but yet you ask McCarthy's opinion on who the hell the next GM is going to be. How does that make sense when the guy obviously is on the hot seat or you would have given him three years you give him a one-year prove-it deal, but then take his advice on the GM. Well, and I think that was because he was a Super Bowl-winning coach, and they wanted to, you know, I, I think that was part of the deal. I mean, it's that's just, why. The way I, things it are run right up or there wrong, is jacked. I, I, I'm not saying it's right <laughs> or wrong. I'm just saying explain why they did it. No, no. And, it's know, just it's, it's jacked. I mean, I, I wish it wasn't. I wish they would have did it in 2014, but. Yeah. Well. Now you guys made me depressed. Sorry, Jeff. I'm gonna go go. Well, home I think and drink. I think they have a three. You know, you have a definite three year window. It could be stretched out, but I think the priority and we we we've heard this all of our lives. The first, what what's the two things you build up first on a football team? Offensive, offensive and defensive, and defensive line. line, and then you have to do that with this team, the especially on the offensive side. Because you have to protect your quarterback, and we've seen mm-hmm. you, you can't have this guy running for his life. We, you know, obviously we saw what happened in the first game of the year. Yep, they dodged a bullet there. So, I think yeah, uh, that's a great point, especially because um, I think it's safe to say David Bakhtiari. You can count on him for let's say fourteen starts a year that you can count on him, um, and he is he is legit making a case for himself as the best left tackle in football. And if his career continues to go the way that it is, he's probably going to find himself with a bust in camp. Yeah, the, definitely The pace possible. that he's grown to and the success, sustained success that he's shown, if he can stay healthy and he can um, keep his body right and continue to perform at the level he's at, he's gonna he's fine. You can take care of him. Corey Lindsley, Lane Taylor, if they're your two worst offensive linemen, you're probably doing something right. Right. But the right side of that offensive line is an absolute train wreck. 
specifically because you can't count on Brian Bulaga to play. Right. And you don't have any depth. So that's the the main thing to figure out because we've seen guys throughout Aaron Rodgers' career, as much as we, you know, we make much ado about that Sports Illustrated cover and all the talent he used to have to work with, Aaron made a lot of those guys. James Jones, you can there's always hindsight's 2020. James Jones might have finally lost a step, but he didn't go on and do anything without Aaron. Right. Jordy Nelson might have lost a step. He is not doing anything without Aaron. None of his running backs went and did anything without Aaron. So he is kind of the straw that stirs the drink in that regard. He will make it work. He made it work with Jeff Janis and Aberderis in Arizona. As long as a guy can be trusted to run the right route and actually catch the football, Aaron Rodgers can make it work. It's a matter of putting them in the best position to succeed, and that starts with having an offensive line that actually gives him time for these guys that are maybe a little slower, maybe a little developmentally challenged, to actually find their opening and find their seam in the defense. Well, and I think you want to see how you know you, you talk about the Brewers and you talk about good teams. You always go, oh, yeah, he used to be on the team. He's over here. He's over there. And they keep on bringing up guys. The thing with the Packers on the offensive side of the ball, John Starks, God, out of, all these guys just go out of league. Nobody wants them. You know, and, and people were wailing about Jordy Nelson. I'm like, the reason, you know what? The reason why, one of the reasons why the Raiders don't have Khalil Mack is because they signed Jordy Nelson. And nobody wants to admit that, at least around here. And that was the right move. Same thing with the guards that they let go. You know, uh, you know, guards. There, there's a. This, this one thing I do agree with Ted Thompson is you don't overpay for offensive guards. Right. Sure. And and and, and, and we didn't, and it paid off. It doesn't. Of course, we had all that the was other probably issues. The one thing but, he yeah. did well consistently. Right. Until right. until Jason Spriggs came along, he was great at drafting tackles and figuring out how to fit them. Yep. into an offensive line. Because T.J. Lang and Josh Sitton both were tackles all through college. Most NFL guards play tackle at a really high level, and then either their arms are too short or they're too slow or they're not athletic enough, and they get bumped inside. So, But, he, yeah, those it two deals proved right. Treader is the one I wish we, we yeah. would have kept. Same here. Same so. here. The guy he could play all five, five. Yeah, positions. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think you got to put a little, you know, a little extra juice for guys like that because – We've seen since the Holmgren days, guys like that, how valuable. Who was the yeah. one center that we had that we moved all over about 10 years ago? I'm trying to think of that. 63. College? No. 63 was Scott Wells. Wells was one of those guys who could, we, we he came in, and next thing you know, hey, you can play center. He is a darn good center. So, And once again, short guy, short arms, yep. cannot, you know, but they work great as centers. So, you know, mm. it's, but uh, yeah, you. However you do it, uh, and what's what's nice about with Gutenkis is that yeah we're we we'll, we're going to be bringing in some free agents because you're going to have the room to do it. Byron Bell salvaged that offensive line, and Byron yeah. Bell's not even good. But can you imagine if you if you had to start regularly Jason Spriggs or Lucas Patrick? Uh, oh my God! And what what the fuck's the deal with Cole Madison? Is his his picture still on know. the side of a goddamn mill carton? There's something there. There's something going on there, and he could. And I, was, I think it's one mental. of the talking heads on the station here said that you know there's still a chance he could come back. So that would be a nice plus. He looked great on tape. Yeah. If he can figure yep. out whatever's going on in his life, whether it be personal, external, whatever, 
Just from a football perspective, that dude can play. Yeah, yeah. I think it's mental. All right, so let's give quick predictions here. Packers-Falcons. Joe Philbin, game one as uh, Packers. Is that in coach. Atlanta? No, it's in Lambeau. That's at Lambeau? At okay. Lambeau. So let's start, Steve. They played. The, I'm pretty sure they played the Falcons on December 9th a couple points. of years ago when I was there, and I, they 30, won. 30 points. They score at least 30. All right. What I is Atlanta gonna come out. They're going to come out bebop and bouncing. The, it, it's, they don't have that big cloud over their head now. And everybody's like, everybody's able to take that first deep breath now. Because <sighs> I don't think they've been able to do that since training camp, really. There's been so much pressure and so much, you know, you know, they could feel it. And players could feel it, I think, with the coaching staff and that. Just, you know, especially with McCarthy, I think. I think well, of course, I, the pressure's think, off when the season's over. Well, <laughs> no, there's still a chance. Yeah, no, there's no damn chance. <laughs> but I, I, I really do. Well, case in point, remember how the Brewers would always play so well at the end of the year when they were out of it? So, mm-hmm. you know, that's not to bring back bad memories. So 30 to what? Uh, I think the defense is still suspect. It depends on Matt Ryan. There's a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, but he he's a little bit like like Roethlisberger. He doesn't play that well on the road. So, I mean, this could be a 30-9 to nine game, or it could be 31-28. to 28. It's really hard to say. It all depends on which Matt Ryan shows up. Oh, way not to straddle the fence there. Uh, <laughs> Antoine, what you got? Uh, 37-24 Falcons. Right. I'm going to go... Phil Philbin doesn't change anything yeah. about this situation for me. They're not going to play inspired. They're not. I just. I think. I think they're going to play a lot mad. more looser. I think he's going to come out there and have some fun. Right, I'm going to go 45-13 Atlanta. Whoa! <laughs> Call up Bart Winkler. Get that one in the video. Our defense. <laughs> That's going to be a good one. Packers defense is still the Packers defense. Yeah. The, the, uh, somebody called uh, Philbin a limp noodle on. Uh, <laughs> On the farewell to McCarthy show that we did the night he got fired on Sunday, so oh, he you know. uh, well the thing the thing for me is that offensively they've got everything that's uh, already beaten you and dropped thirty points on you plus Julio Jones that you do not have an answer for and you never have right he has smoked you every single time he's lined up opposite whoever whoever it was whoever he had Charles Woodson Tremont Williams Sam Shields. Uh, Whatever that, whatever the fuck his name was when they lost in the title game, Lindsey Pipkins or whoever the <laughs> fucking scrap heap guy they had. You think the Packers could sign Eric Bledsoe to try to cover Julio? It's worth Jones? a shot, to be honest you with you. Might as well. Uh, are we wrapping Zaire up here? Alexander yeah. will be on him. Can I? This, be, this could be his coming out party. Can we'll I? See. Can we squeeze in, or, or can I at least squeeze in a head coach prediction? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because I don't, I don't know that he's going to get the job. I don't know that. Um, He's necessarily even a good candidate, but I'd be willing to bet, and I'm not a gambling man, so let's just say $5, that the dude's going to at least get an interview. What are the things that I think we can all agree as Packers fans, and probably um, we have a pretty good tendency to have our pulse on what's going on inside the front office. What would you say are the top things that we would consider when looking for the next head coaching candidate? Young, offensive mind. Yeah. uh, A guy with fresh ideas. Yep. A guy that is willing to um either a guy that's willing to work with Aaron or a guy that Aaron would be willing to work with and respect. Right. Right? Yeah. Um any names coming to mind for you after I've rattled off those three things? You forgot one. What? Must like to go down Mark Murphy's sledding hill. Okay, I got that too. <laughs> okay. Any any guesses? I do not have a guess. 
I'm 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 brain is fried. Alex Van Pelt. Oh, oh I heard, yeah. yeah. I would bet anything that guy is gonna get a phone call if not the job. No. I bet you anything he's going to get an interview. He'll get a phone call. He's going to get an interview. It'll be a a pity He is Aaron's favorite dude. He follows the mold of finding some fucking quarterback guru, allegedly. He's young. He's got fresh ideas. He already knows how to work with Aaron. He already understands the personnel. If you're talking about a quick turnaround, there might not be a better candidate. We'll see how... uh... Well, I tell you what, we'll see how well Jeff Driscoll does in the next four weeks. True he's, that. He's with the Bengals Without A.J. Now, so. Green. Without yeah. A.J. Green. Yeah, that and, offense and, and is without tell you two what, top players, so we'll see. There were, were there were times the Bengals did look pretty decent on the offensive side of the ball at times. So, but um, that I that's it's intriguing. You know, we'll see. It would take a whole lot to sell me on. I don't there know if he's going to succeed. I'm just saying he, there was he might another, be at the top of their short list. There was another train of thought list. is bringing in a defensive guy. You know, yeah. And, and just Promote Pat and let team. Aaron run his offense. Yeah, get, if get, Aaron exactly. knows so Get a much. team, get a defense that can keep guys under, at or under 20 points. You're going to win. You're going to go 12-4 and four every year. Yeah, but you cannot sit there and afford to have a dominant defense like that when you've got the highest paid quarterback in the league. Player you, in NFL history. Well, yeah, you can sit there. It's not sell him short. And you can have a defense like that when you're rolling out Ryan fucking Tannehill or, you know, some <laughs> asshole Trubisky. like that. Or Mitch Jared Trubisky. Goff. You know, you can't roll out a defense like that when you got A-Rod. Who are they paying on offense? Well, well assuming they cut Cobbler's. Yeah, Cobb, Belaga. They could very well cut Crosby loose. loose. There's money there. Um, They're going to have a ton They're going to have about $50 million clear. If they cut the guys loose, we expect them to cut loose. But they have a hundred different holes. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Eagles and the Rams for that very situation. If they can find one legit defensive player worth $20 million a year, that could be enough with what they have right now. But you don't want a situation like with the Redskins. Right. I don't want anything. I don't want to be in any way like the <laughs> like right. the Washington Redskins from yeah. top to bottom organizationally. They're just a joke. Get the big cornerback and he doesn't, you know, doesn't pay off. Right. No, I don't think you pay cornerbacks in today's NFL. You said it before, Steve, right? Yeah. Two two most important position groups on the football field are O-line and O-line D-line. O-line and D-line. Starts at the line of scrimmage. If you don't have defensive linemen, if you don't have guys that can get after the quarterback, I don't care how good your corners are. No cornerback in the NFL, including the resurrection of Night Train Lane and Mel Blunt could cover a guy Ooh, for eight like seconds. That. Well, yeah. and that, that's part of the problem with the Packers secondary too, though, is they're not getting enough um, pressure on the on the quarterbacks, and these guys are running all over the field chasing guys. Yeah, and with the that's, exception, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. I don't yeah. care who you have in your secondary. Yeah, with the exception of the two games that somebody woke up Kyler Fackrell and said, hey, it's game day, fucker, wake up. Four, four sacks, five sacks? I don't know almost. if anybody woke him up or they just uh, – the Dolphins, for example, lined you up at right tackle that day, Jeff. Well, either way, you know what I'm saying. I would no, dominate it right. He's tackle. lost some weight. He's he's linebacker now. Yeah, that's right. Getting, maybe a guard. Yeah. Maybe you're a guard now. No, no. You know, I need a slower pace sport. I tried curling. I thought that was that gonna seems be my pretty calling. quick for you, Jeff. Oh God, I fell on that ice so many times. How about times. how about checkers? Checkers. You know, I was gonna say Uno, but yeah. Uno. I'm good at both of those. <laughs> Solitaire? Of those. They I'm, get a paper Well, card. you know, has a lot of time for checkers now. Mike McCarthy. Yeah. Mediocre Mike. On I bet note. he sucks at that, too. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Combo. 
the green and gold then and now the producers professor and pipe bomb podcast here on 105.7 fm the fan.com follow us on twitter uh you can follow steve at at steve zaki i z-a-u-t-k-e hey ding uh antoine at anthony mandela two l's and i am at jeff orlowski only two jeffs I mean, two Fs. <laughs> I'm so damn Polish, I fucked that Two up. Fs, no Ws. <laughs> exactly. There we go. No, a J, not with a G. Well, yeah. I spelled the right way. G off. Yeah. <laughs> well, I might go home and do that now. So uh, have a good night, everybody. <laughs> Take care.